a Podcast One production. It's been something like 2,500 years since the ancient Greeks walked the earth and in places like Athens and Sparta and Thebes, they had all those city-states that invented a lot of things that we still use today. Things like philosophy, the start of mathematics, the theatre, democracy, lots of things that have endured to this day. But some of the customs of the ancient Greeks have definitely not endured to today. And so we're going to find out, are they... Cat's pyjamas or cat's piss with the chaser. My name is Dom Knight. Craig Rewcastle, Charles Firth and Andrew Hansen are with me. And guys, do you know much about ancient Greece? Anyone do ancient history? I did ancient history. I can't remember anything uh, because my mind is ancient and pickled. Yeah. I did love it though. I, I remember my ancient history classes. Uh, I don't remember the content of them, but I, I sat next to my best friend in them and um, we just had a ball. <laughs> and so are you a sort of ancient Greek buff? There's a lot of them yeah. around. No, I, I learned everything there was to learn by reading about Asterix's adventures in ancient <laughs> Greece. That was and, in uh, France, you idiot. <laughs> now, look, um, I must say I did, I did a whole lot of ancient history and I didn't cover any of this stuff. And I wish I had it because it would have made me a bit more interested in class, I think. Now, the first thing... We all know that the Olympic Games dates back to ancient Greece and that's where it all began and they mm. loved doing sport. We, I think most people know that uh, the Olympics were conducted in the nude. And let's yep. just ask this first up. Do you think that's a shame that we no longer have a nude Olympics? Is, is that something we should bring back? Yeah, well, it'd be a lot, of, a lot of quicker way to tell who's on the gear, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> oh, look, at it, look at that little pecker. He's on the gear, isn't he? Shrunk <laughs> like little cherries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, like in Australia, we, we, we still have many sports that are largely played by nude players, uh, you know, <laughs> at, least at, the, at least at the piss up following the event. Yeah, exactly. But, but bringing that onto the field, I think, could, could really make sport much more interesting. I might even start watching it if, uh, if everybody was naked. Particularly I guess in the, in running events, the photo finish for men could be a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you wouldn't. You might get a bit confused in some events, like the javelin. Um, <laughs> it could be a bit of an issue there, but uh, but it, it does make sense because everyone's bodies of athletes is so much better than our own that of course you want to see them naked. Mm. They're the only yeah. bodies you want to see naked. You'd be interested, wouldn't you? Go, oh, yeah. I wonder what, yeah, like, like, yeah, what, what does Usain Bolt look like with his kit off? Yeah. It? You know, it's, it's fascinating. A, I wonder what it looked like if I got off the couch. I guess also it would completely decimate sales of activewear, wouldn't it? Which would be fantastic. No one would be buying Nike. Well, look, that's certainly something that they did. But in ancient Greece, they went beyond that. Athletes actually sold their sweat. So what they did was they would cover themselves in oil. Mm. They'd be running, they'd be grappling with other men, lots of these sorts of things. Think of the Mediterranean climate. It was very sweaty, very, very hot. And at the (laughs) end, the athletes scraped all of the sweat and filth and dead skin off the bodies. Mm. Rory's a bit grossed out by this. And they would actually have a group of slaves whose job it was to collect all the little bits of <laughs> scrapings and weird things that fell off the athletes' bodies. Well, that's uh, Natalie Portman does that with her scent, doesn't she? At the end of yeah. each movie. Isn't that they, how they make all those. Is that what that is? Celebrity yeah. perfumes, like, yeah. yeah, Justin Bieber, smell like Justin Bieber, you know. That's, sort yeah. of, that's the same thing, isn't it? That, that explains the smell of them, actually. Yeah, it makes sense <laughs> yeah. now. Cat's pajamas. I yeah, that's the famous athlete sweat. Was Fantastic. it a was it a sought after job as a slave? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess you got to hang out with a lot of athletes. But, yeah. but going beyond that, the reason they collected the the sweat of all these famous athletes at the Olympic Games was to sell it. Was actually to use it as a medicine. And what they did was, yeah. you got the sweat of the athletes and you rubbed it on your own skin, and they thought it would calm aches and pains. What do you think of that idea? Should we bring that back? 
Look, I mean, I, it's pretty much the Swiss business model, actually. If you yeah. it. <laughs> this is just it's holistic like, medicine, isn't it's it? Always, it's yeah, Ricky Ponting talking about eating the flaking skin of Ricky or something. I mean, all, <laughs> the stuff they sell you is basically the same, so I don't think it's much has changed. Is this any stupider than homeopathy? Yeah, this is much better. This is much more likely to work. <laughs> and, of course, the advantage then is that you smell like a genuine Olympian. Mm. Which mm. is a huge thing. So, what do you think of this practice? Should we bring this back? Is this cat's pajamas or cat's piece? The athletes sweat, and obviously the athletes' foot's a famous uh, footwear chain. But it's, should we be collecting people's sweat? I think this is cat's piece, though, Dominic. Is you think things have changed? Is the problem is that nowadays, if you scrape the sweat off an Olympian, you're basically just going to get so much drugs. Like if you want, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to suddenly you're going to get drug tested. <laughs> it's not going to work well. <laughs> I suppose that could be a plus, though, couldn't it? Like, it could actually, uh, absolute best quality, um, you know, blood doping pseudoephedrine straight off Lance Armstrong. I go oh, straight look, to the c- Russians. Could be useful. I mean, it could be, you know, have all sorts of medical applications. Like, I reckon if you scraped off the, the average Chinese swim team, and then, then you could help somebody sort of uh, transgender transition by rubbing that onto <laughs> them. Well, the East Germans back in the day, that would have been some pretty powerful stuff in their, in their scrapings. I think but, we should stop I, talking about scraping sweat off people because it's making me. Sick. I'm trying to think of who I would want the sweat of. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, athlete would yeah, you choose? Which, Charles? That's, what, I, well, like, that's what it was like. Yeah, you got to choose the athlete. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm into cricket. Mm. Warney, Warney's I sweat. I, I, I think you can find Warney's sweat in almost every second bedroom yeah, in, actually, in Australia. Warney's yeah. groin sweat. Yeah, <laughs> I think most people have that already. Well, the, in the Triple M studio, there's a lot of it around. Well, the beauty of that, Charles, is that is probably the one sport where you could still do it today because the uh, the groin protecting box at the end of a test mm. match that would yeah. be absolutely ah, flooded could, with sip from sweat. the cup. <laughs> oh God! All right, let's move yeah, on. No, I, this is the thing, Charles. Is there's a lot of good looking. Athletes, I can't. I don't move many into the my my quite rare category of whose sweat I want to drink. <laughs> now, Craig, you seem to be quite squeamish about bodily fluids I, I am and things squeamish. like this. Is, is, is this a bad podcast? I think this is unfortunate that you're here for this uh, one. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on. Um, another thing that they like to rub on their skin uh, in in ancient Greece, and another custom that hasn't entirely made its way through to this day and age, is crocodile dung was the most popular skin cream in ancient Greece. They had a lot of uh, crocodiles around and um, uh, they actually felt that crocodiles were a huge part of the society. One of the beliefs at the time, and a medical textbook said that if you've been bitten by a crocodile, uh, now if that crocodile walks back into your house after biting you and if that crocodile then pees on the wound, then you will die. Apparently that's it commonly happened. Well, that commonly they, happened. Right? That commonly happened. Are you serious? Well, that a croc would walk into your house and piss on your cuts. <laughs> Common enough that they had to write a warning about it in the medical textbook. Hang on a second. So this is, I mean, it really seems very half-assed of the crocodile not to finish the job initially. <laughs> True. It's like, oh, I've, I've bitten this guy so badly, I've got to try and get him with septicemia. <laughs> well, you're into antiseptic in many cases. Oh, I bet the NT News are jealous that they weren't in ancient Greece. <laughs> That's the headlines they could have come up with. <laughs> oh, croc piss on me wounds! <laughs> now, um, but the thing is that they used it as... as it wasn't just the threat of the crocodile. They used the dung as a skin uh, cream. And one of the medical documents said, put the dung at the land crocodile, mix it with water, and uh, use it as eyeshadow. Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> crocodile dung, diluted, to be fair, 
Don't just go and apply it directly from the crocodile. Don't lose it. Yeah, right. I was imagining like, you know, one nugget on each eye and just walk around. <laughs> It'd be really difficult to see. Yeah, oh, it's really embarrassing. I've got a monodung on. <laughs> I mean, is it that dissimilar to the sorts of cosmetics we have today? Like my wife mm. has all these cosmetics and they have the most extraordinary ingredients in them. Are yeah, no, that's dung? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, probably. Uh, sometimes. You get those mud masks. And yeah. yeah, that's true. My wife yeah. sometimes walks out of the bathroom and I think, my God, did somebody crap on your face? <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually just some really sort of expensive product. You know? it was, and the crocodile in there. Yeah, well, <laughs> may, may, maybe in some cases after, after the crocodile bit you, it came back and gave you a bit of eyeshadow. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. So it, it seems like there's... You're not entirely sure whether this is a good thing or not. There's some interest in bringing this one back. I'm in favour. I like a a good natural approach to, you know, your makeup, and I think Mm. this is good, very natural. Do they test it on animals? (laughs) Do they test it on crocodiles first? Well, you could test it on the next best thing. You could test it on Irwins. I mean, they have a lot of crocodiles at their uh, Australia Zoo. I mean, Bindi could could be the the sort of market. She could be the model for this. Mm. Crocodile dung eyeshadow. (laughs) This is cat's piss for me. Crocodile's piss. For me, because I, if I'm going to put anything in my face, I really want it to just come out of a tube. I want it to look very clean, you know, and, and sort of hygienic and, and scientific. I, I don't really want a, a crocodile, uh, you know, squatting over me and doing an enormous log on my face. This is not good, not for me. That's it, uh, that, you're, that, you got the packaging wrong there. That wasn't the way it happened. You know, there was a middleman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was some, yeah, well, that's a uh, cat's piss to be the middleman. Imagine being the crocodile poo collector. I mean, what a job. <laughs> Can't be Worse than working for Lush, can it? Because that place smells. <laughs> Greece was kind of the birthplace of, of modern medicine, Hippocrates and the Hippocratic Oath and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the things that doctors do today go back to um, to ancient Greece. But some things have changed. For instance, the main thing that doctors did when you went to consult, say, your GP in Athens or whatever, was they would taste the thing that they were being asked to oh. diagnose. So one of the one, the first thing that they did to diagnose any case was to nibble your earwax. You'd, you'd go in and they'd just see what was going on. That was the that was the most oh, common so, way so, of figuring so, out what it was. So they wouldn't wouldn't actually taste the part of you that went had gone wrong, would they? They would in some cases, but the earwax was a kind of more general diagnostic. And I, it was nice of Kevin Rudd to bring that into our parliament, <laughs> yeah. I think. Isn't earwax <laughs> very high in cholesterol? Wouldn't doctors yeah, have been <laughs> Getting heart disease? <laughs> Has your wife been trying to get you to stop eating your earwax, Charles? Yeah, how do you Charles, know it's really high in cholesterol. Well, no, I think that's what it is. If you're if you're high in cholesterol, it comes out your ears it, it's oh, through the form well, of that, earwax. Maybe that's why they tasted the. What was it meant to taste like, Donny? Well, it, it all varies actually. Hippocrates, the, as well as coming up with the oath, kind of wrote the textbook on this, and he thought you'd just do all this sort of stuff. For instance, a, a doctor might. Uh, run fingers through phlegm, for instance, to check the consistency, might lick vomit to see how sweet it was, which I know they did at St Andrews College while we were at uni quite regularly. And so they knew what things were supposed to taste like. So it sounds like doctors uh, would have been incredibly ill most of the time, (laughs) which which actually would have been very hypocritical of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It also suggests to me that when you go into a doctor's and they all do have the Hippocratic Oath on the wall... That you can pretty much have to go, you know, try and feed them some earwax. You go, and they go, what You're are you doing? Out. It's like, hey, come on, you, you <laughs> signed the oath. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read the fine print, mate? <laughs> but look, just to answer your question in more detail, Andrew, um, one of the things that they were taught by Hippocrates was that urine should uh, taste like fig juice. And if, if, <laughs> if they sipped your urine and it didn't taste like fig juice, there was something wrong and uh, you needed to be treated. Well, I must say I've always 
thought that fig juice tastes like urine. <laughs> so, yeah, it makes sense that urine would taste like fig juice. <laughs> I love how long Charles has to pause there because he's <laughs> what he actually always has always thought because he's always drinking urine. He's always like, oh, God, this is like fig juice. <laughs> Charles suddenly realised, oh, I can't give that away on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, um, it's an interesting thing because uh, a, a lot of um, people these days are interested or into traditional medicine. I mean, we talk about that a lot. People are looking for alternative medicines. Mm. Should this system come back in? What do you think? I think it should. I mean, I think you... Yeah. Yeah, like, it's sort of punishment for getting a doctor's degree, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Doctors have a smart <laughs> ass. You got 100 in the HSC. Yeah. 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 Now, now, now drink gonna... urine for the rest of your career. <laughs> no, I, I just figure, you know, man's got to eat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But no, we, we pay so much money to pathology labs and it mm. takes days. I mean, I, I had to do one the other day. Mm. I had to send some, send some, uh, some sputum off for a, a, a lab oh, test. Sputum. What if the doctor... What I don't if even my, know what that is. It's, what it's, is sputum? Oh, it's sticky green stuff you cough up when you've got a chest infection. If my What's GP... What's it meant to taste like? It's meant to taste like one of those. But if my GP had been able to taste that then and there, I could have had a diagnosis exactly. straight away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. If you go down to one of those boost juice places, they've got some of your spew in the show. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, and this is another great bit of, uh, of Greek medical advice. There's another physician by the name of Serenus. Uh, he Serenus? Serenus. So he got a knighthood, did he? Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. It's actually more like Serenus, and I think we really shouldn't go there talking about ancient Greece. Uh, let's say Serenus. Serenus. He taught that um, what needs to happen is that uh, very Don, retrograde. Can you please call him Sir Anus? Because, look, Mr. Mm. Anus did the hard work to get him <laughs> shit right. and deserves to be recognised. <laughs> he worked for that. I remember when the Queen actually dubbed him. You know, How they dub you? Sir Anus. <laughs> look, he had very old-fashioned views, I guess, at being ancient Greece and all. He thought that birth control was exclusively the responsibility of women and that uh, if a woman got pregnant, um, it was her own fault. And what she should do to try and solve the conception was sneezing. Sneezing, he thought, was the only birth control uh, method needed. Sneezing? What, during the act? Or, or No, afterwards. You just have a bit of a sneeze and it, it takes care of it all. Uh, that was his great theory, sneezing as a way of uh, a method did, of contraception. Did he have a lot of kids? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. His, his clients did. <laughs> well, he had a sore Um No, but he had some backup methods. If you don't think that, that works, um, you rub it. It was, rub one, it was one of his back, backup methods, the sore anus, because I hear that, that you don't get a baby that way. <laughs> He suggested rubbing honey or cedar resin on your genitals before making love. Mm. And look, there's been a lot of a lot of talk about real honey and fake honey these days in the news. I think you've got to use the real stuff. But mm. uh, honey could potentially be a form of contraception, could it? I was always taught not to do anything with honey and sex because it doesn't it make your private bits get infected or something. It would, wouldn't it? It's a no, sort of it's an organic honey, bee product. No, honey's an anti. It's a disinfectant. It's anti-inflammatory. Is it? Yeah, no, nah, it's quite good. So it might make things really? shrink, I suppose, if it's so, anti-inflammatory. So do you? <laughs> you do clean the bath with possibly, honey. Possibly, possibly your girlfriend was just saying to you, Charles, can you stop bringing those peanut butter and honey sandwiches to bed? <laughs> <laughs> well, well the, uh, of course, there's obviously a, a, there's obviously a problem with coating your, your genitals in honey where there's sort of bees around. It can get very, very unpleasant. Do bees, bees don't flock to honey, do they? Uh, I don't think they, yeah. Oh, ants, I think. I think it's more of a sickum wreck situation, isn't it? <laughs> the, uh... Now, Craig, just a, a moment to recover your uh, your delicate sensibilities before we delve further into the customs and, uh, well, I guess, medical practices of ancient Greece. <coughs> 
Now, guys, we talked a lot about, uh, I guess, matters sexual, uh, matters medical. This is one about everyday life, another custom in ancient Greece. Um, back in the day, in fact, across Europe, they didn't have toilet paper until the 16th century. So how you cleaned up after doing a poo is quite a complicated question. Um, upper class Greeks and Romans had a, a pretty pretty good system where there was a sponge attached to a stick that they would use. But lower you, you class... You describe that as pretty good? Well, can, <laughs> I don't think that's pretty good. Well, you haven't heard the alternative yet, Andrew, because what uh, most Greeks did was they would clean themselves with stones. And uh, these special <laughs> flat stones? stones had pebbles, hard stones, and they to clean up. And uh, they're apparently quite hard to come by, which led to the saying in ancient Greece, three stones are enough to wipe. That is actually something Really? That they... So it's like a triple-ply stone? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have thought that would make it a bit yeah. thick. What do you oh think my... about that? It, if you were trapped somewhere in the great outdoors and you didn't have toilet paper, what about a stone? Would that be something you'd consider? I think that's a very good idea. And it's probably more environmentally friendly because stones are reusable. <laughs> Well, recyclable toilet paper often feels like it's made of stone. And and would you'd still go for the extra soft ones. You wouldn't want to get the bargain basement no frills, you know, extra scratchy, you'd want your jagged to. rocks. Yeah, you want to be pretty rounded. Yeah, river yeah. stones, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, this kind of round ones. Yeah. Um, but wouldn't but they I be wouldn't a bit cold? It would be, be very cold. Yeah, it'd be yeah. pretty chilly. Did they say not? to be cat's pajamas? For Did they me. not have leaves around at the time? <laughs> yeah, or just sheep wool? Or I mean, look, ch- almost Craig, anything would would be better, wouldn't it? Leaves is pretty, leaves are pretty scratchy. But look, as part of the war on waste, would you consider um, promoting stones as a method to to wipe ourselves, sort of nationally? Mm. Absolutely, Dom. I, I do, and I make you the ambassador for it. You can start <laughs> the trend, <laughs> and we can um, save. If Charles seems to think they're recyclable, so Charles can use it second. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could rinse them off, can't you? I guess so. You can put it back in the river, and that's a very uh, <laughs> environmentally friendly way of dealing with it. Of poisoning the entire city. Now, look, you can't always find a stone. So one thing that they would do if they weren't the right stones, if someone had used more than three, is taking broken shards of ceramic pots and oh. using that. But I think you've got to be quite careful. Uh, no, that's cat's piss. What are they? Did, 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 the, did these doctors have to treat a lot of hemorrhoids in ancient Greece? I mean, I no wonder there was a guy called Soranus. <laughs> it is actually true that hemorrhoids was a major problem in ancient Greece. Yeah. It says right here. The worst part was when somebody came in and said, I've got hemorrhoids, and that's tasted. <laughs> 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 but a, a common thing to do in Greece if you didn't like someone, if you had an enemy, was to actually write their name onto the piece of pottery or the stone and then use it to wipe yourself. <laughs> Should we bring that, that back? That'll show them. <laughs> I think that's cat's pyjamas. In fact, today we should, I think it'd be great to sell more rolls of toilet paper where you can custom print them with the names and faces of people, of, of ex, you know, ex-partners or whoever it is that you want to wipe on, it'd be great. That's mm. actually a very good business idea. Yeah, I mean, Carl Sandlin's on all bits of toilet paper. <laughs> this, is this why the modern Greeks always smash plates at weddings? Is that just... Oh, yeah, to, prepare, to, prepare, to, to prepare, go to the loo. Yeah, I'm busting. Give me a plate. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, but look, Craig, this has nothing to do with uh, with bodily fluids, this next custom of the ancient Greeks, although certainly not directly. Um, once a year in Athens, the roads, uh, the wonderful, beautiful roads of the ancient city of Athens would be alive with giant penises. Uh, men and women would march down those streets 
holding big model penises above their heads as a tribute to the god Dionysius, um, who was the god of wine. And they would get very pissed. They would lead a phallic procession to the temple. They would sing songs about penises and yell rude jokes at people as they went. Cats pajamas or cats piss? Kids, cats pieces. It's great that they had a post-footy season celebration like that. <laughs> we still have it today. <laughs> but we've, we've got the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. Basically, that is the, yeah. the Mardi Gras <laughs> procession, including, like, Dionysus. <coughs> Sydney is named after Dionysus. That's the derivation of the word Sydney. Is Saint, Saint Dionysus, the god of wine. Really? Yeah, totally. Oh. Well, Lord Sydney, yeah, the original guy that re- went back to Diana. I remember that in that book, Gert, in yes, fact. Yes, that's mm. right. So should we bring this custom back uh, and, and the religious element? Because that's the thing that's really different. I mean, we still still have parades and penises, sure. But it's not about a god. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. Cat, cat's pyjamas. Th- I've always thought the Mardi Gras should be much more about god. Yeah. <laughs> Fred <laughs> Niles does his best every year. <laughs> Do you think that's the problem with Fred Niles' protests? And call it, instead of call, mm. praying for rain, he should be bringing out giant penises and... <laughs> I mean, I, I do like the idea of worshipping the phallus. Like, just from a general, like, I'm a man. Mm. From a general perspective, uh-huh. the idea of worshipping the phallus, I, you can see where it came from. Like, you know, as soon as men started to run society and you had patriarchies and everything like that, you would just yeah. turn around and go, oh, yeah. Festival well, of the penis. Worship this, eh, yeah. love? <laughs> Let's have a parade of dicks. <laughs> well, it's actually very common. I, I was in Thailand once and there's a, a wonderful festival um, where they kind of have these ghost masks and it's very beautiful. But part of it, uh, the sort of creepy part of it, is that they have giant penis-shaped sticks and they run around touching people with the stick whether they want to or not. And really? it's just kind of a fertility ritual slash bit rapey. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably not worth mentioning. Clearly me too hasn't got to Thailand. <laughs> yeah. So, but what, what do you think? Should, well, should we have... An annual festival of just the penis here in in, in Australia. No, I don't think so. Oh, this is cat's piss for me. I think m- the problem is that most days are a celebration of the penis. <laughs> Maybe a, bit, a little bit less of that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Most of my days certainly are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah but, I mean, I hate the way Andrew constantly parades around the office. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to bring a bit of ancient Greek culture into yeah, the place, yeah, Craig. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying and to lift he, the tone. And he touches me with it and says, hey, it's an old Thai tradition. <laughs> According to Aristotle, these phallic processions uh, were actually the birthplace of comedy in comic comic theatre because (laughs) people adapted the jokes that were yelled during the parade into full stage plays, apparently. So I guess this is, should we bring back the dick joke in comedy? Did it ever go away? What, you can get a a three-act play out of a knob joke? (laughs) Well, with Aristotle you can. Very good writers, weren't they? So all comedy goes back to carrying around cartoon dicks? Does well, it make that, that, that just does not surprise me. How does no, it make yeah. you feel about your, your career you, choice? Well, if you go to stand-up, any stand-up show is basically half dick jokes, isn't it? Like, go yeah. to an RSL club. That's, yeah. that's the, I, I think it's very highbrow. <laughs> Obviously, they've studied, studied ancient Greece, and that's why they're telling dick jokes at RSL <laughs> clubs. Yeah. So, in other words, we've come absolutely nowhere in the past two and a half thousand years. No, there's nothing funnier than a dick. Which is cat's pyjamas. All right, now let's talk about uh, ancient Greek gyms. Now, we've already talked about the athletes and how they went around naked, but Mm. uh, the current fad is progressive resistance training. And uh, you might, you know, things like CrossFit where you go and you you drag things around and so on. This was apparently invented by a wrestler called Milo of Croton who trained by carrying a newborn calf on his back 
every day until it was fully grown. And every day it was heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. Heavier. Is that cat's pyjamas or cat's piss as a way to get in shape? Bloody cat's pyjamas. That's fantastic. Think of how much you save on gym membership. All I'm going to do is get a calf and carry it around. <laughs> until until it's a fully grown cow, Craig. Yeah, I but mean, then, once, you, once you, <laughs> then you get steak at the end of it. No, this yeah, is, no, there's no downside. That's the whole problem is you then have a blowout because you eat yeah, the yeah. cow <laughs> and you go back to zero again. Yeah, it's true, it's oh, true. To the calf. Well, it's, it, it's cat's piss for the cow, I reckon. Imagine having to start every day being lugged around by some sweaty well, dude. might enjoy it. It's quite the opposite. It's like he it feels like royalty. He's been carried around all day. It's great. I'd, I'd, I'd love some muscly guy to carry around all day. Does probably, the, probably not, actually. Does the does the cow pat element make you feel differently about this uh, training regime? Oh, I mean, yeah. What would the cow eat? It wouldn't get heavier at all because it'd be I mean, starving. Don't they have to eat? 18 hours a day to mm. keep growing cows? Was it, was it carried around all day, Dommy? Like, did, did the cow ever get a break? Or oh, no, I think the, cra- the, the cow would have had to have a break to eat grass or it wouldn't have ever gotten any bigger. Yeah. The, the whole point wouldn't no. have, would have so been So you're just up. carrying the cow around for an hour or so. Yeah, just for a little it. while. Oh, okay. Oh, well, <laughs> carrying a cow around. Imagine, <laughs> if, they, imagine if people did this. Imagine if it's like, that was Fitspo oh. today, you know, people on Instagram, like, posing this you massive make, cow on their back. You can make good. so much money by bringing that back as a fad. In fact, I think that we should <laughs> yeah. bring it back yes. as a fad because that would be, totally work. Yeah. Well, at 45, it's not that different. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's paleo fitness. a week. Yeah. yeah. Ancient mm. Greek paleo fitness. Yeah. Yeah. How does F45 work? I've never been, obviously. Look, you, look at me, but uh, <laughs> I think you'd go in and you drag things around and they charge you 60 bucks a Are week. Are any of these things cows? You know, <laughs> cows in the gym? <laughs> well, no, this is the thing. I mean, you don't, nothing in the gym is is actually able to move. Like if you if you do weights or whatever, it's not like it can squirm. It's not a real-world situation. Whereas moving a cow, you have to do that any day of the week. Yeah, mm. and in actual fact, it would be good because it would exercise all your muscles because you'd have to keep on adjusting to it squirming around trying to escape. Mm. And so you'd actually yeah. get quite tamed, I think. Naturally. It's like free weights. It's a free cow. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, in fact, I could imagine cows being used as in a variety of sort of gym equipment applications. I reckon you could have a rowing cow where you, you sit down on the cow's belly and kind of just row the front legs back legs, and forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could do like those stretchy things, just use the udder. <laughs> <laughs> resistance band udders. Yeah. Boing, boing. <laughs> well, the other thing about um, Greek gyms, of course, is that it, like all activities in Greece, um, it was done naked. So you'd, ha- you'd have to <laughs> do all this stuff as naked as the cow was. In fact, gymnasium is a Greek word that means school for naked exercise. Do you think that this was actually an exercise. What's the guy's name again? Sorinus, I think. <laughs> no, Milo of Croton. <laughs> the only, only one think, I can remember. Do you think Milo of Croton, this was actually his exercise method? Or once he was captured <laughs> naked with a cow <laughs> and needed it's, to come up with an excuse. Yeah. It's an excuse and it's gone down into but history. He, yeah. he should have just said, oh, I needed some milk for my Milo. Ah. <laughs> oh, wow. Maybe that's where the name Very came good. from. I'm going to pay that. That's cat's pyjamas, Charles. <laughs> One other aspect of, uh, of Greek life that I want to put to you guys as well is um, the military training was quite extreme, particularly in Sparta. And at the age of seven in ancient Sparta, soldiers took Spartan boys from their mothers and uh, put them in a dorm with other boys. They all got trained as soldiers and they weren't allowed to go back to their families and have a normal life until they were 30. Yeah. So the first first 23 of your th- well 23 of your first 30 years spent in the military cats pajamas or cats piss should we well, bring this, this back this is basically Scott Morrison's view on what should happen in schools isn't it it's pretty much the same <laughs> he doesn't like gayness in schools and i think that uh, doing the dots look, on these these 
I think this is cat's piss, and I only say that to be really consistent because my policy on child soldiers in Africa, I'm kind of against it, so I'm not Mm. sure if because the Spartans did it, it's a good thing. But haven't you seen the movie 300? I mean, those guys were heroes, they were warriors, this is Sparta and all that kind of Mm. stuff. You don't think that... Couldn't we use more of that in Australia today, that spirit? Yeah, because that is true. The Spartan force basically controlled the whole of the Greek peninsula for hundreds of oh, years, yeah, they didn't they? Legendary and, soldiers. And they even beat, they were the people who beat the Theban sacred force, weren't they? The, the Thebans were the ones with the really long pikes. This, this, this has just turned into Charles shows off his knowledge about the Spartans all yeah, of a sudden. And, and was, it was is this the, a module you took or something? It was the Spartan. No, no, I just remember it because we always thought that it was very funny that the sacred band, because they were all naked, they were naked guys. Well, we should they? actually mention the anyway, Thebans. The, no, but the Theban sacred band is another uh, tradition that's worth actually mentioning in the current context because there's still debate about uh, gay people in the military, but the, the Theban sacred band was a was an army of lovers. Mm. So it was just all couples. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they would fight much harder because, of course, their loved one was alongside them. Should this be brought back into our... Do we need an Australian sacred band? I love the fact that there would the have been... In the ADF. This, there would have been this massive debate in Theban times. It would have been about, like... Should we allow straights into yeah, the military? Into the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've got to be joking. You don't want to be fighting with a straight next to you? What are they going to do for me? <laughs> no, no, but, but the, and the interesting thing about the, the Theban <laughs> sacred band was one of them held the shield and the other person held the really long pike. And the whole idea was that's that, what he said. that you would yeah <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't run away because you were defending your lover. You oh, know, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. And and then divorce was invented. Stevens <laughs> <laughs> lost a lot of pike. <laughs> yeah, but this whole idea of having uh, I guess um, the boys going to boarding school together. I mean, when's that ever led to problems? Is it Casper Chums or Cat's Fist? <laughs> Look, I, I don't. I really don't have a problem with the way they just put people in military school for twenty three years, and then you saw them at the end. In fact, I, I mean, I've got a seven year old. <laughs> I think nothing would make me happier than saying bye bye. See you when you're thirty one. Toughen him up. Yeah. yeah. Now, guys, we talked a lot about uh, you know bodily fluids and getting naked and all this kind of stuff. Now, there is another aspect of ancient Greek life that might actually be more popular here in Australia, and I want to put it to you guys. There was a system in uh, ancient, I think, Athenian democracy where citizens could vote to exile people, and particularly politicians, for 10 years. Should we bring uh, this in, cat's pyjamas or cat's piss? I, I have often wondered why we don't have this system in modern life. I think this is the best system in the world. So once a year they got together mm. and uh, you could vote for whoever you most want. You only got one vote. Mm. And if it all went, if, if one particular person crossed the threshold, they were out for 10 years. And if they came back in, is, they got killed. It so, sounds like a reality show. Like it really it does is. sound like something. <laughs> Who's it, off the island? But it, and it could be for anything. It could be, you know, like, oh, you murdered a whole lot of people. You're going to have to be exiled for 10 years. But it could also be like, you you're, you're really unpopular. Like Simon Cowell... You're a dick on TV. You're exiled from this country. For you 10 know years. why this system worked though in ancient Greece is because mm. they didn't have the internet. Because nowadays it'd just <laughs> be trolled by people like you know, yeah. like Boaty McBoatface. It'd be like, hey, you know, you know Gerald down in Smithfield. Yeah. Let's just all vote him out. <laughs> <of Yeah. Scotland."> <laughs> 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 so, poor Dick has suddenly voted out of Australia. But what if we what if we kept it for politicians? Like once a year, every every year we get together, and the person we most hate in politics is exiled. 
Well, there'd be no politicians left to run anything, Donny. I don't mm. think that would work. You know, they'd all be gone. That, uh, but I think it's a great idea for, you know, celebrities or just, just TV presenters who you find a bit irritating. Um, I think that'd be fantastic. I think that's basically is what happens, is that every few years we get together and we exile a politician to either the backbench or to Sky uh, no news. jobs. Sky yeah. News, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that is what, that, yeah. that we, they end up for 10 years on Sky News, <laughs> which is actually worse than being out of the country because nobody at all mm. pays attention to you when you're on Sky News. I think the problem with this, the process, John, the whole reason this fell down in Greece is they were like, ha-ha, you politician we hate, we're going to exile you to a Greek island. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, Having heard all these things, the the amazing sweat ointment, the crocodile dung, eye shadow, um, and this aspect of democracy with exiling people and so on, would you like to live in ancient Greece uh, if the uh, opportunity arose? Catch arms or cat's piss on that entire society. How do we feel about it after talking about it? Well, on the one hand, all the stuff that we've talked about sounds terrible <laughs> and is generally cat's piss. <laughs> but I, I just, I really love slow roast lamb. <laughs> and they're so good at cooking it that, yeah, I would totally, totally go and live in ancient Greece. No, no look, I wouldn't do it on the basis that, as you say, I'm, I'm a little bit squeamish. So a society that's generally based around wiping people's sweat around and, you know, eating their earwax is not really the place for me. I just... I Look, I, I think it's quite attractive, but the one thing for me is the broken shards of pottery having to wipe my butt. That, I, I, like that, that for me turns the whole thing into cat's piss. I don't care about all the other advantages. Even if you could write my name on it? Oh, actually, Cat's Pyjamas. We'll catch you next time. Cat's Pyjamas or Cat's Piss with The Chaser was written and presented by The Chaser. Created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia, producer Alex Mitchell, sound production by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search Cat's Pyjamas on Apple Podcasts.